Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host, Bruce Kelly, is not available today. He's working on a breaking news story. But uh, we are going to talk, or we, I am going to talk with Toussaint Bailey, the founder and chief executive of Uplifting Capital. It's a, it's an interesting new venture here. We're going to get all into it because uh, Toussaint, is, uh, he's got some creative ideas. Toussaint and I have known each other for a couple of years uh, because we met as a uh, judges on the FICOM Investment News Podcast Awards. And through that, we kind of, you know, I, we basically started talking about this new uplifting capital company. And uh, I wanted to get him on here so uh, you all can hear about what's uh, what's going on. Tassant, how you doing? Thanks for being here. Oh, good this morning. Good, good to be here. Uh, uh, definitely fun to do a podcast together rather than um, sitting in the seat of judgment about other people's podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more fun when you can be judged by others, isn't it? That's right. I, I, we'll see. Well, I want to before we get into uplifting capital, well, tell us a little bit about your background in in wealth management. Yeah, so actually, I I, I still feel um, like I haven't been in the industry that long, although I guess it's been six years now. Um, so I spent most of my professional career as a, as a practicing attorney. Um, and came into the industry really mid 2016, late 2016, uh, designing um, the business model uh, for a firm called Enzo Wealth Management. Um, and Enzo is a fulfillment driven uh, private wealth firm uh, that really focused uh, from the client perspective on fulfillment and and uh, kind of adding more meaning to money uh, for clients. On the firm structure perspective, we were looking at growing by really bringing on uh, sophisticated, uh, experienced advisors sort of in the sweet spot of their careers where they had already grown and become either uh, kind of that established or, or sort of in that growth phase of their careers, but also were attractive to new and young enough that they were attractive to new entrants. And so uh, merged in a lot of those advisors, we went from you know less than 100 million to you know over a billion and a half and uh enzo just recently uh announced its uh, its acquisition uh, by mm -hmm. corio uh corio wealth um so sort of a startup of its own in the wealth management space with that kind of background it it gives it makes a little more sense when i think about what you're doing now and and just for for our audience to know i was talking to uh toussaint while well, emailing uh of few months back and, and asking for some detail on this new venture, Uplifting Capital. And this is one of the things that you wrote. It is a minority owned and majority women led investment platform created to generate superior risk adjusted investment performance and drive meaningful, measurable impact on the planet and its people via proven investment and allocation strategies. So I know that wasn't a boilerplate document, even though you're a lawyer, but um, it does it does give us a, a good glimpse into what we're going to be talking about here. Talk to me about uplifting capital. I mean, I, I know it's minority owned because you're one of the owners, and, but I didn't know it was majority woman led. What what is that? I mean, who who are your partners here? Yeah. So our 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 first high. So I started with um, our, our director of investments. He was sort of the first person to, to join me uh, when this thing was an idea, uh, Jonathan Firestein. Uh, but our very first hire was our now director of impact. Um, her name is uh, Sarah Henning and 
she spent years as a security lawyer and then decided to go to the Peace Corps and, and led global strategy um, at a nonprofit for several years and was a professor in international development. So just this incredible woman. So she, we're an impact investing firm. She leads our impact initiatives. Our chief of staff, uh, who sits next to me, uh, although not this morning, but most days, um, is my wife, uh, Denise Bailey, our, our independent, only independent board member and, and sort of the, the leader of our investment committee is one of our early investors, a woman by the name of Linda Asante. And she came out of a big multifamily office called Jasper Ridge. And then we, as we design our digital solutions, we rely on a woman who who, who we got out of uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services. Her name's Yushin Wu. Yushin's uh, independent, at least for an uh, independent contractor, at least for now, but she leads sort of our our digital build out. And so, yeah, Jonathan and I are are the first two, <laughs> but, but uh, it looks like now, and I don't know when we'll hire our next man but uh we, we are we are certainly uh, uh women-led oh it's i oh my goodness i didn't mention uh tamaria tear who who leads our uh communications and engagement it is a big we will we'll unpack how important sort of uh the engagement piece of impact is for us but tamaria is key to that let's talk about uplift what is uplifting capital i mean i i look at it and this is the way this is where the stupid questions start to sound. Oh, I love it. This is where I start, you know, because I don't know what's going on here and I'm trying to figure it out. And you're going to say, well, this guy's not as smart as I thought he was. To me, this looks like uh, kind of private equity investing for, I guess, underserved communities in across the industry or, or I mean, across the basically across the, the country. Is that what this is? Or how do you describe uplifting capital? Are you are you putting into some of these yeah. businesses that maybe have a difficult time getting capital? I'll, I'll, let's zoom out because I think it, it helps to give um, first the context on, on the three main areas where we operate. And so we're, we are at the intersection of, you, you said it, uh, private equity or our, our private markets because we have some private mm -hmm. credit stuff. or, or so, so, so let's just call it private equity broadly. Um, wealth management and impact. Or, or impact investing. And so we bring together all three of those worlds. Uh, how do we bring them together? Uh, so, so private impact investments are, are just one form of private equity. There are, you can think of them as a, thema a thematic form of private equity, and, and, and you can invest in just about every asset class, speaking broadly, for impact, speaking broadly. And so things that impact positively the people, planet, or the economy, um, measurably and meaningfully impact those things and our for-profit uh, kind of market rate solutions um, exist in every asset class. And so that goes everywhere from early stage venture uh, to growth equity, all the way to, to kind of buyouts. So con control interest buyouts and, and last stage mm -hmm. private equity, even going into th things like real assets and real estate. So if you think renewable energy infrastructure or affordable housing, all of those asset classes are, are for-profit, private equity, and all of those can be done for impact. And so what we do as a firm is we take those assets um, and we take when we meaningfully and, and, and measurably screen those things and, me and measure impact. And then we design uh, a, a wealth management sleeve of investments around those things. And so much has been made about the death of the 6040. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, you'll hear people say things like, you know, my asset allocation is no longer 60, 40. I'm going 50, 30, 20% to alts. And then I scratch my head because I don't know what alts means uh, because you're, you're pulling some of that from equities. You're pulling some of that from fixed income. And then you're putting it in this, this bucket that basically encompasses all, 
all forms of private equity and all forms of private credit and all and all sorts of other things. And so what we do is we design that alternative sleeve um, with an impact screen to fit a wealth manager's portfolio, whether that wealth manager is serving families or whether that wealth manager is serving foundations and mm -hmm. institutions. And we also allow either the wealth manager or the client to personalize the impact that they're targeting. And so we have, you know, I, I mentioned people, planet, economy, but within those, it gets more nuanced. And so we have nine sub themes um, covering everything from uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and education, and health and wellness as it relates to people, uh, as it relates to the economy, things like financial inclusion, affordable housing, small business development. And then, of course, with climate, we have, you know, sustainable food and agriculture, renewable energy or, or energy conservation. And then we have just kind of climate change uh, proper. And so we take all of those things and, and we, we take the asset classes that all of those things can be impacted by. And we mix those into a portfolio. And one of the one of the kind of key points here about why somebody who understands wealth management was needed um, to stand in, in sort of this gap is uh, institutions have been investing in these asset classes uh, for quite some time. And so if you think of pensions and endowments wanting to move toward mission aligned investing, they've been in, in infrastructure and in renewable energy infrastructure. They've been in affordable housing. They've even been in, in things like, you know, social venture or climate, climate tech. But they don't have the same portfolio needs as a smaller foundation or or, or as a family um, who, who who's investing for their legacy. And so, what we needed to think through is what what's the what's the investment profile that we need to design? What's the portfolio that we need to design for a family that actually can't wait ten years uh, to see a climate tech venture fund uh, exit or show returns? Um, and so, we designed thoughtfully thinking about what the cash flow profile was of this portfolio sleeve, what the risk adjusted return profile was for this portfolio sleeve, designing this with the wealth manager hat. So Jonathan's background, Jonathan uh, w uh, was director of research, private capital research and impact investing research, first at Abbott Downing, so Wells Fargo's family office. And then he went and built out that same platform at, at U.S. Bank. So he was head of private capital and, and impact investing at Ascent, U.S. Bank's family office. And so he was designing these things for clients who have $100 million of assets and up. And he sort of backed into the fact that a lot of these clients were looking for impact with their money. Uh, after he left U.S. Bank, he was consulting RIAs um, on how to invest in the private markets for impact. And in about our second conversation, I told Jonathan, People are going to smile. They're going to nod. They're going to think what you're saying sounds fantastic and nobody's going to do it. <laughs> like the wealth managers that I know are going to need something designed that fits into how they do business every day. It's going to have to have, you know, the right kind of technology and administration. It's going to have to have the right investment innovation. You're going to have to design something for them and it has to be easy and compelling. Specifically, what investments, what investments are you making in? Because this is like a fund, right? Like a private equity yeah. fund, correct? Correct. <laughs> I, I slow down on that correct because it, even, even the fund has some some innovation around what it is. So it's a it's a configurable okay. fund. Uh, the thing that we talked about for for the first year of our design is personalization at scale. How do we help? People don't just want to invest generally in impact. And so if you think of a fund, you think of a basket of of something that's known or a basket with a mm -hmm. set mandate. Um, and people are going to invest in that basket and it's going to be what it is. Uh, we had to figure out a way to make our fund 
uh, configurable for how people wanted to invest for impact. And so our fund uh, has a feature that allows people to overweight one of those impact themes or another based on what their own impact interest is. And so they come into this diversified fund and then they, they can lean it in one direction or another. Uh, the other feature is that we have no capital calls into our private equity fund and we, we say no capital calls, mm -hmm. no J curve. And so all that money is invested for impact from day one into short term private credit and then deployed into its ultimate destination, um, ultimate private equity destination. And so so it's a fund, but it has it has some some different features that we thought would be compelling uh, from a wealth managers uh, okay. perspective. And so inside of that fund and I didn't explain what's in the fund. Inside of that fund are 50% uh, funds and 50% directs. Um, so about 150 to 200 names, um, uh, com underlying companies. Um, and what we say is we have multiple managers for this single manager experience. And so those those direct investments are, are, are really co-investments um, with the managers who we have in our fund. And so we're, we, we get access to, to what the companies that they're investing in are, um, we know what we like that they're investing in. So really that direct sleeve allows us to both double down on what we like and then also reduce fees because um, those things come to us fee and carry free. And so we can give people kind of the single manager fee experience with uh, with the number of managers in the portfolio. Okay, since you brought up fees, what what are the fees here for when they, I'm assuming they, once they go through an advisor? I actually perk up at the fee conversation because when People typically hear about a fund that has funds in it, so multi-strategy or a fund of funds. Like there's there's half the people who I who I talk to who, who sort of turn off right away. For us, uh, we we have an overall uh, fee target of two and twenty, and and the reason is that mix of funds and direct. So that co-investment por portion of our portfolio uh, comes in at one percent, um, and and the fund portion of our portfolio comes at one, comes in at one percent from us. And whatever the underlying fees are, so that averages down to 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 two percent typically, or or even less than two percent. Um, and then the carry has a similar sort of blend, and so we're able to get people uh, multiple managers for for less than typically less than two and twenty, or at least at two and twenty, which is your typical private equity uh, two two percent management fee, twenty percent carry. I shouldn't I shouldn't kind of gloss over those terms, uh, which is a typical private equity structure, particularly for something that has things like venture in it and, and growth equity, which we do and, mm -hmm. and buyouts. How big is the fund and is it is it currently open? It is currently open, um, but I will, I will say, so we are, we, we go out with the fund every year. So the fund is raised in annual vintages. This year's fund, we're going out with the $25 million fund uh, or targeting 25. Next year, we'll go out with a $100 million fund and then we'll rest at between 200 and 300 million dollars and we are pretty sure we we won't take the platform uh, above that amount because we have some allocation to things like venture and, and growth equity where where if the numbers get too big you're sort of chasing um, right. managers and in, in deals we feel we feel comfortable and so right now this, this fund is 25 um uh, i slow down on on the fact that it's open because this year's fund we're raising from five entities. Um, and so we have, uh, we'll be announcing soon the, the kind of, uh, maybe the first of those five, or maybe we'll announce them together. Uh, but one of those five is is committed in for, or soft committed in for that first $5 million. What, what so, so we have five entities coming in at $5 million each this year and for the next three years. Um, this solves a problem that uh, emerging managers run into often. 
And so what happens is, and this is this is more kind of typical of pensions or endowments that are are believers in, in an investment mm-hmm. strategy. They're believers in a manager. But what they say is, from an operational due diligence perspective, we can't be more than 20% of your fund. But in order for us to go through the pain of our process, it doesn't make sense for us to invest less than five or $10 million into this fund. And so a, a new manager who's capable and who who all sides agree would do a good job uh, ends up in this sort of pickle where nobody will write that first check uh, because they'll all be more than 20% of the fund. And so one of uh, one of my uh, mentors through a program called VC Include by the name of Sue Twigo has started to work with pensions and endowments on these investor circles where they have five entities come in at once. They all write that mm-hmm. check in at once and they all are sort they're all sort of going through their diligence process together. And so what I realized is I can do that with some of the RIA relationships that I have. And so some of these larger RIAs that typically wouldn't be interested until further down the road, I'm now working with on being these, we call them founding uplifters, or these these kind of founding LPs. And so, yes, the fund is open, uh, but our focus is raising um, this first fund with kind of these five uh, somewhat exclusive partners. I, I will not turn down uh, very, uh, you know, checks, <laughs> but but uh, the focus this year is really these kind of what's five the, partnerships. What's the minimum investment? You, and do you have to be accredited or qualified? You have to be so. So this year, um, we're still at the qualified okay. purchaser level, um, and so uh, although our our goal is to democratize this space, and so we do have uh, low investment minimums, and so that that customizable, uh, configurable fund that I talked to you about is a two fifty two hundred fifty thousand dollar minimum. You can get into our standard fund for a hundred thousand um, dollars, and so so that's there. We also have a, a, a an impact private credit solution that people can invest in for as little as $50,000. Um, and so uh, pretty low minimums, but unfortunately uh, we have not gotten down below the qualified purchaser level yet this year. We're looking at How that. How do you get below year. that? What do you have to do as far as structurally? Uh, you pay a lot of lawyers, a lot of money. Um, okay. uh, so, so the qualified, so you're at the qualified purchaser level partially uh, because there's an unlimited, that's three C seven because there's an unlimited right. number of investors. You can have it at that qualified purchaser level. So if you want to bring more people in, not just a few big institutions, um, you need to be a qualified purchaser. For us as a multi-strategy uh, fund, any qualified purchaser investment we have in the fund makes the whole fund a qualified purchaser investment. And so a lot of the quality managers that we're looking at um, have been restricted to qualified purchaser solutions. And so a few of the managers who we loved for this first fund are, are QP managers. And so this year it's both a sourcing issue. So needing to find more accredited investor um, uh, underlying managers or needing to work with those managers to create accredited investor solutions. And then what, what, next year, what we'll likely have to do is create a parallel fund where we say, you know, our QP fund is is unlimited and we'll have an unlimited number of investors there for our uh, for our accredited investor fund. We have 100 mm-hmm. spots um, and, and we'll let, you know, as many people in as we can. Are there lockups in this fund? Yes. So. Yeah, the the, the uh, private equity fund, so that that fund that I described with with all the configurable stuff, it's it's a typical private equity fund. So it's it's a ten year fund. What's unique about it is the time frame that we look at for our cash flow. So uh, uh, Jonathan is like Neo from the Matrix when he gets behind a spreadsheet on cash flow modeling. And so so what we tried to do was look at um, we we profiled exit. Um, 
exit profiles for every asset class we have in the fund. We profile kind of cash flow profiles for every asset class we have in the fund. And we design the fund so that it has this consistent um, sort of either income or uh, actual return. So, so you you can't eat markups, right? And people are finding that out after 2021 and, and looking at their portfolios coming into 2022. And so we really uh, kind of gauge our fund by distributions. And so we're looking at, we have things in the fund like uh, uh, infrastructure um, and, and kind of those real assets that we have in the fund, things like affordable housing that start to, to distribute income early on. So that, that can be year one, year mm -hmm. two, year three. And then we have things like uh, last stage private equity or, or buyouts that that have exit profiles that start to show up, you know, faster than some of some of the earlier stage stuff in our fund. So so we're looking at kind of those uh, three to five year exits for for the later stage private equity, and then you get into growth that starts exiting, you know, five to seven, and then you get into venture, which is that kind of those seven to ten year exits. And so our fund is a ten year fund, but but the return stream or the distribution stream. Uh, starts a lot earlier uh, than 10 years. What kind of returns are, are you talking to people about with this strategy? The, the resting allocation. So, so you know, we, we call all capital at once. So, and so you'll have to sort of set aside or, or, or separately bucket the, the sort of cash management feature of the fund. But our, our resting allocation is benchmarked against uh, Cambridge's private mm -hmm. equity index. And so you look at, you know, averages between uh, 13 and 15 over the long term. And, and we, we are looking at a risk adjusted version of that, right? So we, we have some venture in there, but we have things like affordable housing, real assets, things that are not um, the same risk profile as you would think of, uh, of, of the rest of the stuff that's in that, that private equity index. And so we, we are a risk adjusted um, private equity return profile. When you say 13, 15%, that's net of fees? Net of fees. Yeah. Every, all my conversations okay. are, are net of fees. I'm a, I have a wealth management background. <laughs> Most advisors have always been told, this is a mutual fund, take it or leave it. But generic investment options aren't good enough to meet the evolving expectations of today's clients. Helios Tools solves the customization challenge. It's a tech-driven process developed by Helios's team of investment experts and quantitative researchers that allows advisors to build and customize model portfolios based on unique client needs and preferences in just a few clicks. Find out how Helios tools can help you create a better client experience and set your firm apart in a cost-effective, scalable way. Visit www.heliosdriven.com forward slash Helios tools to learn more. So I'm assuming our audience here is financial advisors for the most part. I'm assuming there's advisor access, the ways for advisors to to invest. There, there is advisor access, and that's so, so. Yes, there's advisor access today, and our conversations are primarily with financial mm -hmm. advisors. And so part of part of what we want to do is make sure the like, impact is a compelling sort of client relationship mm -hmm. bolster when you're talking to people about what 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 they care about most like that that creates some some form of bond and it, it just goes beyond money we don't want the benefits of that relationship strength to inure to us and so our conversations are, are primarily with financial advisors about how they get their mm -hmm. clients here uh, advisors are running the investment process and the administrative process for us and so we prefer to talk to advisors and have our conversations with clients where we started off you were talking about uh, the 
you know, all this talk about the death of the 60-40 portfolio. Where does something like this, this impact strategy fit in a portfolio from your perspective? Where would you say, does this replace some fixed income, some equity? What is it? So I, I, I know a lot of advisors, uh, if, if you're kind of going beyond Mark Witch, you think of, you know, your lifestyle bucket, which uh, is sort of the income that you need. You think of your capital markets bucket, which is where that 60-40 is. And a lot of advisors kind of have that aspirational bucket. This is where they would put things like single stock positions or, or kind of risk on small cap stuff. This would be um, in, in that either it may come from the equity portion of that capital markets bucket, but it likely comes from that aspirational mm -hmm. bucket. Um, it, it's just if, if you think of what your what an advisor would be doing when they when they have you know a single stock position that a client loves or the advisor loves, or they have um, the, the reasons why uh, we, we go to small cap. I, this is sort of designed for that. And when advisors talk about moving away from but it's risk adjusted. So when advisors are talking about moving away from the 60-40 and putting 20% in alts, we think this is uh, this is designed to be an entry point into the private markets. And so it's a it's a portfolio sleep. If somebody's going from 60-40 to 50-30 to quote 20 alts, this can sit in 20. This can be that 20. It starts with, because it's equity. We, we It is a private mm -hmm. equity solution. But we have things in there like structured equity, real assets, affordable housing that are generating income very early on in this in this portfolio's life. Okay, good stuff. I, and this is going to be fun to watch. <laughs> how you kind of grow and do this? What, what? How long? When did you launch this? How old is Uplifting Capital? Yeah, we we started we started building in late 2020. Uh, we decided to be more than a lifestyle business, um, and probably mid 21. And so we went out and we 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 spent that most of that year designing and and then uh, raised some capital in late 21 um, and, and then uh, high, spent most of early 22 kind of hiring and, and, and you know, bringing on things to institutionalize uh, us as an investment firm, fund administrators, accountants and all that stuff. And then um, launched mid-year this year. And so we, 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 we've been sort of up and running for business uh, since about July um, and we will close this fund uh, early next year. So, so the first part of, of 23. Um, and so, we have the partners who we're bringing on are tend to be impact enthusiast firms, um, larger, right? Because they have they have the ability to allocate right. five million dollars, uh, but but larger impact forward firms who want to design this with us. And so even next year's uh, version of this of this flagship fund will look different from this year's. I was sitting with uh, with a group of advisors yesterday um, who who were thinking about leading this effort at breakfast, and they're saying, you know, we, we would love to see this feature. We would love to see this feature. We would love this with your technology. And like the, the earlier you guys come on as design partners, um, um, the better. And so, yeah, it, it, it will be fun to watch. And it's, it's, it's been super fun um, to build. I, I'm, I'm proud of what we have now and I'm proud of where we're going. I, I don't know what else to ask you. What's next for, uh, for Toussaint Bailey in, in Uplifting Capital? I think you've already laid that out, but, uh, but give us a little bit of a tease here. Where are we going to see another big fund? I know you said you're closing this fund next year. Will you would be launching one in the meantime, like having two funds going at the same time? Yeah, so we, we, we have, we have um, in the background, we have our, our impact private credit. We call it impact money fund. So we have that solution in the background. But no, this is the, the flagship fund. Um, we, will will close this year and then we'll we'll announce uh the kind of scaled up version of the same thing 
next year. And and what's it, the, the exciting thing that's coming is, I, I, I will tease, but not too much, what we're doing on the impact engagement side. And so we have, like, a, along with the, the kind of personalization of the fund, we have some pretty innovative reporting that we do that, that helps people kind of tie um, in from in reporting form uh, with their money and, and, and what their values are, are doing together and, and all of those things that what we are doing in that category uh, from a technology standpoint, I think will will be blowing minds uh, when we talk. Okay. Again. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, keeping keep, in, keep uh, a little spot on your schedule available for the, the FICOM Investment News Podcast Awards. I had a had a conversation with Megan Carpenter from FICOM earlier this week in Vegas uh, at a market council event, and uh, and she's looking forward to to getting this rolling again. So uh, I know we'll be heavy to work on that. I, I clearly there, there's not a bigger Megan Carpenter fan out there, Megan and, and Candice uh, a fan out there than, than me. And so yeah, that, my schedule's always yeah. They're for they're that. good people. I don't know anybody who doesn't uh, who isn't a fan of those two. Anyway, Tucson, thank you very much for being here. Good luck with uh, Uplifting Capital. We'll, we'll follow this along. I appreciate you making the time. All righty, another good episode of the Investment News Podcast. I want to thank Tucson Bailey for, for helping us out and explaining to us the, uh, the impact of Uplifting Capital. Uh, Bruce Kelly, let's get him back next week. Uh, if you want to reach out to either of us in the meantime... I can be found on Twitter at Benji Writer. Bruce Kelly's handle is at BD News Guy. Uh, again, we want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester, without whom we would be just rambling in the dark, talking to ourselves, I guess. But uh, in the meantime, we'll talk to you next week, folks. Thanks for uh, listening.